You know, just when you thought that the only black omen was a cat? Well, I'll get you ringing. Get you ringing. Hell's Bell. I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And together, we're the brand new Whiskey and the Weird podcast. Thank you for joining us. Beginning in 2018, the British Library started releasing a new series of books, The Tales of the Weird. Each book groups weird stories of yesteryear from obscure authors, according to a theme. Each season, we plan to tackle one book in the series, bringing you an in-depth discussion of one or two stories each episode. For this first season, we chose the first book released in the series. It's called From the Depths, Strange Tales of the Sea, edited by Mike Ashley. So for this episode, we've chosen the tale The Black Bell Buoy by Rupert Chesterton. But before we get to that, we've got a little uh, front matter here, don't we, guys? We got a little bar talk. (laughs) Damien, what are you drinking tonight? Well, tonight I decided because of the theme that's going on behind this extremely exquisite, exquisite story that I was just going to drink uh, some Black Label scotch. But uh, it turns out I don't have any. So I decided to go for the next (laughs) best thing, which was bullet bourbon with a little bit of Woodford Reserve barrel aged orange bitters. So it is a very simple, neat uh, glass of bourbon, but I'm enjoying every drop Sounds of it. Sounds warm. <laughs> Did you have a recommendation for us this week? I'm glad that you asked me. You know, it's really funny. I think we usually talk about horrific type stuff, but uh, in, in the wake, and because I guess this is fairly death related, in the passing of legendary comic Norm MacDonald, I decided to check out his audiobook of his memoir, and I'm I'm doing air quotes here for memoir, called Based on a True Story. Get the audiobook version. It's narrated by the author himself, Norm MacDonald, Canadian wunderkind. Part of it is true. Part of it is completely outrageous fiction. And I laughed extremely hard. I've got a really weird sense of humor. So if you're with me on this and you find it to be as hysterical as I did, hit me up on the Twitters and the socials. Uh, But it was definitely enjoyable. Very short and very easy to digest. And it honors a comic legend. That sounds like a lot of fun. How about you, Jess? Uh, every time pumpkin beer starts showing up at the store, I buy a bunch of them. And then I remember that I don't actually really like pumpkin beer. Um, I'm drinking <laughs> the new Belgium uh, atomic pumpkin. It's okay. It says it's spicy. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I have a bunch more to try. So we'll get through that one. That's um, the thing about pumpkin beers, Jess, is I always find that they're usually super, super sweet. It's like they dump in some vanilla syrup, maybe some clove and nutmeg and call it pumpkin spice. I mean, yeah. I, I want real pumpkin. But they you only know? come out once a year, so I don't remember from year to year that I'm not that into them. That's true. Uh, this week I watched um, Eyes Without a Face for the first time, the 1960s black and white horror film. I'd never seen it before. It's streaming on HBO. It is super beautiful and also like surprisingly gross for a film from the 60s. Like you see faces peeled off and uh, a bunch of other gross stuff. But I mean, really good. I think universally acclaimed as really, really good. I just never seen it before. That sounds like a spring break in South Beach. <laughs> it's it's really, really good. It's really pretty. Uh, some sad dog stuff, but again, like not that sad. And mm. the dogs get some revenge. So it, it all works out. Did you check it out on doesthedogdie.com first? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm drinking. She uh, saw the face. She saw the face peeling tab and was like, nice. I'm in. That's right. 
bumped it to the tonight, top of the list. Tonight, I'm going simple with my beverage. I've got a little Evan Williams small batch. And I'll tell you, you know, every time I have a glass of bourbon, I'm reminded that I love a glass of bourbon. <laughs> 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 my recommendation uh, tonight, um, we're recording this on the 1st of October, and my recommendation tonight is A Night in Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's written, it's got 31 chapters in it. So you're supposed to read it one chapter each night in the month of October. And it tells the story of a rival group of people who are trying to open a portal to hell on Halloween night. And so you read the, you read it from different people's perspectives of whether, um, you're going to be an opener or a closer. Well, oh, that's tonight, a really good gimmick. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it's, and it's so, it's so fun. I, I read it last year with my kids and they were less interested than I was. Um, and so I'm going to, kids are yeah. the worst. <laughs> I'm going to try it again, uh, on my own this time. So, um, well, tonight we have a great story for you. The Black Bell Buoy by Rupert Chesterton. And I want to tell you a little bit, well, the very little bit that I could discover about Rupert Chesterton, bit of a mystery with this one, y'all. Um, even though Chesterton's name appeared a lot in tables of contents in the early 20th century, particularly in boys' adventure magazines, there isn't a lot of other details available about him. And Mike Ashley, the editor of our book here, uh, and a man who is way more knowledgeable about this stuff than I am, suggests that Rupert Chesterton is a pseudonym. Get out of yeah, Dodge. That's right. You mean Rupert Chesterton isn't a real human being's name? <laughs> Why didn't you? I thought you named your kid Rupert, Damien. No? Well, I did because I thought it was original, <laughs> but it turns out there's a whole bunch of Ruperts out there just Ruperting up the world. So I've got nothing to contradict uh, that assumption that Rupert Chesterton is a pseudonym, nor was I able to find out any information about who it might be a pseudonym for. Um, if you've got a guess, go ahead and tweet us at Whiskey Weird Pod. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, this story was published in February 1907 in The Novel Magazine, which was the first all-British pulp fiction magazine. Had a good run, ran from 1905 to 1937. And probably the most famous Chesterton work is his Phantom series of novels. The first book is called The Phantom Battleship, published in 1911. It tells the story of brave Captain Vanstone and his mystery ship outfitted with sci-fi-like advanced weaponry. Now, initially, he's in the employ of a dude who wants to conquer the fantastical land of Hondia. But in later Phantom books, apparently Vanstone switched sides and he comes back to defend Hondia from left-wing radicals. Whoa. Now... <laughs> that vying for universal health care and, <laughs> and complimentary schooling. That, that particular detail leads me to what somebody once called a swag. Have you heard that expression? A swag means I think you're going to define it for us. Wild ass guess. <laughs> and so here it is. Here's my. That is a country song if <laughs> I've ever heard one. Here is my sophisticated wild ass guess uh, for who Rupert Chesterton may have been. I'm going to throw this out there and say that Rupert Chesterton was a pseudonym for G.K. Chesterton. Now, G.K. Chesterton, Gilbert Keith, was a writer, sometimes even of science fiction. He was an orthodox Christian apologist and a lover of all things conservative. He was alive <laughs> and writing at the same time that Rupert Chesterton is publishing. And 
maybe GK wanted a non de plume for his more fantastical adventures so they wouldn't detract from his serious religious and philosophical brand. Hey, and you know what? Your swag checks out with me because if my name were Gilbert Chesterton, I'm pretty sure that if I were to pick a nom de plume, it would be Rupert <laughs> Chesterton. Oof. I would probably well, not pick either of those names, but. So that's my guess. If you've got a better one, we'd love to hear it at Whiskey Weird Pot on Twitter. So Jess has our summary tonight. Jess, take it away. All right. Um, Our narrator of this story, who I think is unnamed throughout the entire thing, um, opens explaining that he's been piloting ships into port for 40 years. And because of his life at sea, he's seen some things and he's heard some stories. Uh, The strangest thing he's ever encountered involves the Black Bell buoy. Uh, the buoy of our story is a massive marvel of engineering that everyone is super proud of, except that when the crew goes to place it, it's defective. So the boat that drops off the buoy leaves two men behind to work on it. The boat will swing by later to pick them up. The two men left behind are Danvers and Pettit. Uh, They are set up to be rivals immediately. Both men are romantically interested in Old Captain O'Higgins' daughter, Lucy, uh, but both are too poor to pursue her, at least according to her father. So we get a lot of the story, like kind of background story in this story, just based on town gossip. So according to town gossip, Lucy was potentially interested in both men, but Danvers had a slight advantage over Pettit. Uh, Pettit is described as basically being kind of a grumpy alcoholic. So 12 hours after the ship leaves them, it returns. Danvers isn't there. So Pettit says that as they were working, he heard Danvers scream. And when he turned to look, he was being grabbed by a giant tentacle. (laughs) Pettit tried to grab an oar to hit the monster, but he was too slow. And the giant octopus disappeared back into the water with Danvers. So this story spreads around town to all of our gossip And everyone believes it. A couple of people point out that maybe you shouldn't leave enemies alone on a buoy together. Uh, It seems like a great way to get a murder. But they are the outliers. And most people believe that the sea monster story makes the most sense. So meanwhile, the buoy is now adrift and it is causing mayhem. The marine board offers a reward for anyone who can capture it. But the ships that are looking for it can't find it and the ships that aren't looking for it keep running into it. This thing is floating around. um, It floats around for a year, damaging boats, and then it disappears. During all of this, Pettit seems more and more traumatized by his experience. He starts drinking more. He gets fired. He eventually gets another job on board a boat named Bertha. So (laughs) now it's a year later, and he is aboard the Bertha, and they hear a bell. Someone declares it's the buoy. The captain of the Bertha decides that they should capture it for the reward, but the crew thinks it's a bad uh, bad omen. They've heard stories. Uh, they don't want to go anywhere near this thing. But uh, the captain is the captain, and so they capture it, and they try to tow it behind them. While this is happening, the crew and Pettit want to cut it loose. Everyone is fighting about what to do. Uh, Obviously, the buoy crashes into the boat and it sinks. Uh, (laughs) Pettit and two men are the only survivors and the buoy disappears for another year. Uh, So now 
the narrator, who is the pilot, joins the story. He boards a 2,000-ton steamer to pilot it into (laughs) port. Uh, And when he boards it, he sees that Pettit is the captain. Uh, Because apparently they are old friends, they have a drink together, the narrator notices how old and terrible Pettit looks, even though it's only been two years since the sea monster attack. He looks noticeably bad. So the first thing that Pettit brings up is that because he's a captain now, Lucy will want to marry him and her dad can't object. He's a captain. Uh, The narrator, who is kind of an idiot who can't read the room, says, (laughs) oh, good for you. I always thought she liked Danvers more. So Pettit is pissed. He claims that that was never true. It was just rumors that were started by Danvers. And as soon as he gets off the ship, he's going to go straight to Lucy. Uh, The narrator, again, being kind of an idiot, says, well, great. At least the old buoy finally disappeared. So Pettit, again, super mad, says that the joke is on the buoy. It sunk his last ship. But because of that, he got an even better job. Obviously, as soon as he says this, uh, they crash into something. They hear a bell. It's the buoy. The ship starts sinking super fast. Everyone is running towards lifeboats, jumping overboard. It is chaos. Uh, That means it is the best time for a monologue. Pettit changes his tune from just a couple minutes ago and says, actually, the buoy is a curse. It's driving him crazy. Every time he sees anything in the news about it, he feels super guilty, but he deserves it. Um, He says, I was a villain, a cold-blooded murderer. So some of the town gossips were right. He killed Danvers. He explained that when they were dropped off, Danvers was inside the body of the buoy making repairs and bragging about Lucy. So Pettit closed the hatch, locked Danvers inside. He suffocated. He regrets it immediately, but not because he killed his friend. He regrets it because he realizes someone else is going to need to inspect this buoy and he's going to get caught. So he cuts the tether, hoping that it'll float away and no one will ever see it again. Instead, it lurks around the coast, haunting him for two years. After his monologue, the boat sinks with Pettit on it. Our narrator escapes. Pettit is never found. Uh, The buoy finally washes ashore a couple of months later with Danvers skeleton inside. Dun dun dun. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and also I want to I would like to add that I think Pettit in the way that it's spelled in the story P E T T I T T is the best ratio of other letters to the letter T in a name that Just I've ever seen. I don't know about Pettit. anyone else. <laughs> 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 when you don't know what else to do, Pettit. Oof. I mean, you know, when your name is Rupert, you're not working with a lot. You, you want to do to others what's been done to you, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, GK. <laughs> wink, wink. We know who you are. <laughs> All right. Well, what did you guys think of this story? I loved it. This is my favorite story in the collection. I uh, so, so for me, I thought it was a very entertaining story. Super short. You know, this one was, I think that uh, with the exception of a few action verbs that just pretty much read you the oh, entire yeah, I think story I in that read summary. The story and it would have been about the same. It, it's extremely short. There's a lot of action that goes on. Um, uh, you know, me expecting like the supernatural element from some of the other stories that we've read. I thought that there would be more around this beast, but it turns out the beast was a pretty transparent, you know, uh, device to cover an obvious murder from a crenemy, which is a crewmate slash sure, enemy. Sure, sure. And the, the only thing missing you know, from his you, story you was it? that the octopus tentacles were very short. 
for these seas, right? Normally they're about 50 miles yeah. long. I think a 50 yeah. mile tentacle is pretty, is pretty, uh, is pretty consistent. <laughs> uh, you know, the other thing that's really interesting is I was trying to marvel at the size of this buoy. They, uh, you know, the, I think the author takes a lot of effort to really demonstrate that this black rock, this, uh, this obstruction that was sinking a lot of ships that required this buoy for a marker was huge. Mm -hmm. And so this thing was massive. Yeah, I, This is a massive buoy. I actually went down a rabbit hole and started looking up buoys like this. <laughs> Um, and, and, and they weren't, they were known by the color. They were, they were di painted different colors on purpose. So they were known like once you pass the red buoy, then you, then you've got, you know, four nautical miles until the green buoy. Um, but I was also surprised they are huge and they would have the capacity if they slammed into the hull of a ship of, uh, of caving it in and, and sinking the ship. Absolutely. They were to really mess it up. They were really massive items. Um, and so it's like ski diamonds then it's like the green, red, black. So this is like, I don't know if they the have like danger levels associated with them. <laughs> I think but, you don't want to hit any of <laughs> well, them. Well, I think this one yeah, is you don't pretty hit any of them. Um, <laughs> you could just tap this one. It'll be fine. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this story as well. Um, and, and like you, Damien and Jess, I felt that it was pretty short. Um, but I, I had fun. I had fun with it. I kept, I did keep wanting a little bit more of the supernatural element to come out and, um, we'll talk about that in a second, but I thought it was great writing. I thought it moved along at a good pace. Um, and I thought that the the conceit of burying the the lead, as it were, in this romantic rivalry was a lot of fun um, once it once it came to light. It seems that that uh, well, the more you read in this book, the more you see how romance um, comes up as a motif for for moving the action forward. But I love it. It's like old Captain McSwiggins or what was his name? Old Captain O'Higgins. O'Higgins. Yeah. It's just like what a crazy ass name. So yes, thank you, GK, <laughs> uh, for for you know writing the the legendary characters of Van Stone and then also like Cap Captain O'Higgins and his daughter like beautiful Daisy. It sounds like I'm in a Popeye comic strip. And or she's something. only referred uh, I, to I as like old Captain O'Higgins' daughter Lucy or little Lucy or like lovely Lucy. Ooh. She's never just. Lucy, the nice person who yeah. has her own life. But no, 100%. I think it folds in a lot of genres. I think it's written with a quick click. And I think that's easy to read. And it totally, some of those images stuck with me. Um, like the image of uncovering the skeleton inside, yeah. showing signs of strain, trying to get out of this locked cavern. I instantly thought of Poe and the cask of Montalito or Montalato. You know, the cask. The cask, cask story. Um, and, and yeah, <laughs> Poe's cask. Where it's just like that to me is a terror. That's a buried alive yeah. at sea, and that that is haunting just on its own. So even though the supernatural element was quickly debunked, I was still pretty spooked by this. I'm sure we'll talk about how much it scared us down there. Well, road. I mean, that's part of my next question too: is is this a ghost story? I mean, there's one way in which you could read it where it is the ghost of the murdered uh, suitor who is moving this buoy around and smashing ships in an effort to get at at Pettit, his rival. Uh, there's another way to read it that it where it's just uh, Pettit going slowly insane from from guilt over the years, um, and, right, and like then if happens to run into the buoy again. Yeah, <laughs> if you let loose a giant buoy, ships are probably going to run into it. If it's just a giant thing floating where it's not supposed to be painted black, right? And then it's the added guilt too of you've sunk all these ships, you've you've killed other people potentially, or at least harmed their livelihoods. Yeah, so the did Bertha, you, is there this was a ghost story? Survivors. I, you know, it it could be argued. Uh, unlike modern, you know, pop references, something like "What Lies Beneath," that Harrison Ford Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle, yeah. where you're 
kept you know leading through like is this just a weird crazy obsession or is it an actual ghost story and at the end it's like nope straight up ghosting Mm -hmm. okay it's a ghost here we go concrete answer uh spoiler alert for people who haven't seen me <laughs> from uh, 1998 i think it was i think it was a yeah a 2000 movie what lies beneath <laughs> uh coming soon to a blockbuster near you no but i think that I, I think that by the time that this story rolls out you're wondering like it could be i mean there were there was way too much that just could be attributed to coincidence right there was a lot of targeted nature and it was a lot of like hubris that demonstrated to be false like everyone who wanted to go after the money or the reward ended up paying the price and uh you know especially the person who was the committer of these violent acts and the committer of this murder who confessed and then went down with the ship so uh i i i would venture to say that this is as much of a ghost story as it could be in that it was everything except completely outlining the fact that it is a ghost story. Well, Chesterton better hope that it's a ghost story from my perspective, because if it's not, it's getting a half finger cut off at the end (laughs) of the whiskey rating. Don't even start talking about fingers (laughs) for the non-common listeners. We'll get to that in just a bit, but that's how we rate our stories. All right. Ryan isn't just throwing out a half finger comment (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. Or am I? Um, It's a pretty short story, as we've noted. Uh, do you think, and maybe I'm maybe I'm leading the witness here, but do you think that it could have benefited from a longer treatment, or did you feel like it was the right length? I think, especially if it was published in a periodical, a collection of those like boys' adventure stories, it's great, it's perfect. That's what you want to read when you're picking up that collection. Could it have added some more meat? Sure. Did it need to? No, it didn't. I think it told a, a tale from start to finish in a scant like. 12 pages and i thought it was fun i thought it was perky i thought it was peppy i I could have used probably one more paragraph of characterization for each character i I would have liked to know more about lucy i would have liked to know more about why these two rivals are even being considered by her when one is clearly come on ryan she was little and she was darling she was was little and lovely why is she considering one who's a weathered weathered grumpy jerk I like that. And she's the other not... guy's got money and nice. <laughs> I like that she's not even in this story. The only info we get from her is from the like collective town gossip. They think, oh, right. yeah, both of these guys have a chance. Like the Pettit plans on going to see Lucy as soon as he lands. It's been two years. She could be married to someone else. Like Lucy's not even a part of the story. She's just this like figment of his imagination at this point, this woman. And, who, and yeah, yeah, she's like a goal or a destination. Right. She's not even like a, an actual uh, aspiration. She's just like a figurehead. And I think a real symbol of guilt in the fact that he killed another man because of that jealousy that was existing because of a, a loose, you know, infatuation. But yeah, good point. I mean, the other guy, Danvers was painted as this like real heroic type and Pettit was this, you know, drunken grump. Like yeah. jerk. Right. Yeah. Why, why is so he it's an like, option? what does she see in him? But the thing is, is that it was all about status, yeah. right? And he was a good seaman. He was a good like helmsman. And then he ended, ended up, up being a captain, which vessel. comes and with so, a certain. And so he was proud of yeah. that. So he's out there like braving the white caps and chasing the black buoy and saying like, I'm going to go back and get me some Lucy because I'm a captain now. Hip, hip, hooray. And it just goes to show that chauvinism gets you drowned yep. at sea. And and that's all we've got for tonight, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Ground at sea. Thank you for joining. Everybody, us. just write that down. What's Wait. up, Bombus? Sponsor us. Yeah, I think chauvinism gets you drowned. I think it but could not have been Bombas a little sucks. bit longer, as I said. I'm I'm aware of the you know writing for a market. Right, this is something that's a little bit of a challenge sometimes 
um, even uh, for writers today, right? You you write for a magazine or for a contest, and it says three thousand words, and you've got a story that's four thousand. You've got to cut it um, down. Yeah, and I and I like the point that you made, Jess, that if this is for a boys' adventure magazine, yeah, it probably is the right length, actually. I just would have liked mm-hmm. to know a little bit more about these characters. So my next question uh, for our discussion is, even today, the sea is a dangerous place. In the last century, though, those dangers were amplified by their not having access to the kind of technology that we have today. There was no GPS and, and, and other, I, I don't know what important things you need if you're going to be driving a ship, <laughs> piloting a ship. They didn't have them. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ryan, if you're referring it to, to it as driving or piloting I'm a not, ship, I, I am not getting yeah, on a ship no, with you, Yeah, no, don't get on the ship with me. I'm, I, I don't even have a sextant. <laughs> Um, But do do you think that this story did a good job at communicating the push-pull of the allure of and the danger of the sea? I would 100% say yes. I I think that in very little detail, it did a great deal of that. Just describing the danger, the inherent danger of this reef, this just Black Rock Reef that existed, the fact that in order to create a buoy, which was the marker of just, hey, what danger lies beneath. Did did I just kind of paraphrase the title of a Harrison Ford Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle from the year 2000? I don't know. Twice? Uh, if we don't you're know. looking for, for a way to mark the dangers that lie beneath, yeah, you're right. They were technology averse, right? They were using sextants and compasses and, you know, just a helmsman gut to avoid these things. But then they hit it and they sink and die. So the fact that so much precaution was taken into creating this buoy that ended up being more dangerous than the reef itself, I thought carried a real sense of dread. You couple that with the fact that ships are getting destroyed and that people are getting suffocated in the buoys <laughs> like ballast. That's you know, probably I'm not like, a common I, danger. I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, it's Have like I don't want to go in the water, but not because of. Before? Like, do you know what's Have in? Have you, yeah. Jess? Do you know what's I'll tell in you what. I'm what's... going to now. I'm, every time I see one. Every buoy, every buoy I see, I'm just going to open up the ballast and be like, what's in there? Is it gold? Is it a dead corpse? It started to lean toward the illusion of this fake story of like this creature that grabbed him with a tentacle. And I'm like, eh, this is kind of weak. But then when it was like, no, man was the beast. Then all of a sudden it became a hell of a lot scarier and a hell of a lot more enjoyable. So, yes, I would say that the gravitas of the dangers of of sea, like the realistic dangers of sea and not the fabricated fictional dangers of sea were completely amplified by the story. And it made me scared to get in the water for all the right reasons and not the like Jaws reasons. I think it made me scared. But also my response, if I was being haunted by a buoy at sea, would to be to find another job, just one on the land. (laughs) (laughs) I quit. I'm done. Sell hot dogs. Like, You're probably not going to get sunk by a buoy if you work in a restaurant or if you drive a taxi. Like there's a lot of options that don't involve being in a potentially sinkable boat. But Jess, isn't that where the hubris comes into play? And all these people, like they could have been safer if they just avoided it. But first it was a 50 pounds reward, then it was 100 100 pounds, pounds. and then it was just like validation (laughs) of killing a man. Uh, yeah, and like it, I get it. If you're a sea guy, you're a sea guy. I'm not. I'm going to stay on the land. <laughs> <laughs> we lost. We lost Amy in there for first, a minute. folks. Jess is not a sea, not a guy. sea guy. Whatever a sea guy is. I, I, I love being on the water. Do you, do you not like being out on a boat at all, Jess? I sure like being on the beach. I like looking at the water. 
so I love taking uh, <laughs> taking cruises. I don't haven't done it in a couple of years, obviously, and haven't gone Good. all that many. But um, when when we're out on a cruise, my favorite days are the days that we're at sea, where we can't see any land at all. And in fact, I've said to my wife many times, right, the best cruise in the world for me would be one where they just went out until we couldn't see land and then drove in a circle. I don't care to get off at the ports. I don't care to go by and the- then hit an iceberg yeah. and sunk. Well, no, listen, I'd like to see the land. I think the Titanic was unsinkable. That's my favorite <laughs> line in that movie. She's made the, she's uh, made of iron. I assure you, she can sink. Uh, I, I would have to agree with Ryan here. Like, I think that the sand and the shore is the worst part of the beach and that I just think that that's the most annoying and frustrating. Like it gets in my butt crack. It gets like in between my toes and I'm just like, get the sand out of my system. But then I go in the water and I'm just like at one with nature. That is my peaceful place. I'm not really too concerned about the creatures. And so creature scares don't really get yeah, to me. I'll but like the stuff swim like this out. that's talking about when but you're no, creatures, on- yeah. creatures yeah. get to me. But I want to be on a ship, right? <laughs> I, I've often thought, too, that I would enjoy taking one of those working cruises on a tall ship. You can do that. You need a lot more money than I've got to do that. But that would be fun one day. I don't know what that is. Do you think this? Yeah. Do you think this buoy story is going to steer you away from the tall ships because of all I'm the just not maladies get in a that buoy. could happen? That's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, when the, when the excursion comes, you like, who that? wants to jump down in the buoy? Not me. Yeah. I think don't <laughs> get in the buoy. Don't put anyone in a buoy. I mean, just play it safe. Stay out of the buoy. Well, I think Jess has her own little PSA. Everyone, up. I think just you stay we've got, on we've the got land. two of them tonight. Right? Stay on the land, and chauvinism gets you drowned. So we have <laughs> so we exactly. have a couple of takeaway messages. For Hashtag that. <laughs> well, what did you think of Chesterton's writing in this story? How did he how did he grab you with his with his pen? Chesterton to me was like a Hemingway. He was very direct. Uh, there was no flowery prose. Uh, it was just like, hey, here's what happened. And even when he folds in elements that are semi-dramatic elements, that it's not something they really, you know, delved into and expounded on. And I know you said you could use another paragraph on characterization for each of the folks, but I felt like I needed what I needed. I didn't sympathize or empathize with, you know, Pettit when he ends up going down with his ship. I didn't care. But the story itself still didn't suffer from that lack of characterization or empathy that I felt. So at the end of the day, this was 12 pages well spent. And if you want to call that a boy's adventure tale that just went right for me, I will take it. I'm a fan of the Penderton way. Chesterton, but yes. That guy too. (laughs) All the Chestertons. They did a great job. I was particularly fond of his uh, swearing. This is on page 234. If you've got the book at home, it says, it wasn't the ship's bell, sir, answered the sailor. My colonial oath. I love that swear. <laughs> My colonial oath. Um, but Ryan, we are a right. family podcast, sir. I, Please I, I watch your, your tongue. Back I've got to tell our you though. Explicit rating. You know, um, I've got to be honest. It doesn't deploy well today. I used it in the grocery store um, when they didn't have the product that I was looking for, and everybody just stopped and stared. Uh, they had no idea what I was talking about. So I don't recommend that you no use it. No family-sized raisin bran? My colonial, <laughs> My colonial oath! <laughs> I loved that. I also learned through Chesterton's writing that the phrase Old Nick is a nickname for the devil. I didn't know that. Did you guys know that? I didn't. You're you're a church guy and you didn't no, know No, I didn't old know Nick that. Listen, <laughs> I did not know that uh, Old Nick was a nickname for the devil. No. We don't know much about the love interest, Lucy, as Damien said, she's not even really a character. And as Jess has said, she rather enjoyed that. 
Um, we don't know much about her dad either, other than he's named O'Higgins. Uh, but do you think, and 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 this this really is calling for some wild speculation here. Nice. Uh, but some swag. Yeah, some swag. Yeah. Do you think that Pettit's plan would have worked if he uh, if he hadn't reencountered the black bell buoy? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going with that she's not even a real character. Like in my imagination, uh Lucy's just got other stuff going on, right? Like she could be married, she could have kids. Like just because the town gossip says like, "Oh yeah, she might be interested in these guys." Like that doesn't mean anything. Like she's not in it. We don't hear her side of anything. Uh this guy seems like a jerk who gets fired and drinks too much. Uh and if he just shows up two years later and it's like i'm a captain now we can get married like, eh, no thank you jess isn't marrying him that's for sure i know nope. i think it would have worked but i think it 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 would have gone south it would have uh it would have soured the marriage he would have been pursued by his inner demons to the end of his days which may have been cut short by that but uh yeah i mean there's a lot of what ifs and yeah. the i mean the speculation like if he would have actually towed you know, the, the black bell buoy back to shore and garnered his reward and had his captain status. Would that have positioned him? Well, yeah, it as would as long have. as they Sorry. didn't open it. And <laughs> let's not forget that little lovely Lucy was the daughter of a captain. And so captains be, beget captains. And so it, it would have stayed within the realm, I think, but yeah, was he destined to fail in one way, shape or form? Yes. Because going back to my earlier comment, I think that this is a ghost story. And I think that this was a haunting that was seeing its way through. So I think his fate was sealed. So as a ghost story, as a haunted buoy story, does the scare hold up for you guys? Was this a frightening tale? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it was- The phones dread- are ringing, calling for elaboration. Yeah. It was dreadful, right? A lot like some of the last story we read where it was you just, you feel like something's going to happen. You know how it's going to end, right? The surprise isn't right. that he was the murderer, right? No, like that's the, not a big surprise. But you're just kind of waiting, like, okay, how is the buoy going to get him? Is the buoy going to get him? Is it going to be something else? Um, there's dread. There's anticipation. Um, I think all of those things, like, translate well into how I would react in a similar situation, except on land, because I will not be in a boat. I think the scare holds up because the thought of being buried alive, no matter what the vessel and where you're at, but the thought of suffocation in a confined space is always, always, always terrifying. And I think the scariest part of this was not a lover scorned or the battle or the the demon essence of a, a possible omen that, you know, cast dread and death on wherever it floated. I guess <laughs> wherever it wherever it tread on on water Bobbed around but too. that but yeah but that the scorned lover was sealed into a cask and like you know just left to suffocate and that the signs of stress were there that to me was like all right yep you got me that's scary so yes the scare it's interesting to me. to me Damien that that for you you picked up on the fear of being buried alive or or buried alive at sea I guess um, yeah that that part of a part of it is obviously there for me but. Um, I didn't pick up on that as, I, I mean, I just sort of glossed over that in my own reading. So I think it's neat that you picked up on that. For me, the scary part was um, the the concept of a ghostly revenant is frightening. You know, somebody that's going to be, yeah. um, you think you've, you think you've gotten rid of them and they come back and they chase you down. <laughs> um, it's, it's what makes the movie um, It Follows, if you've seen that, yes. particularly yes. frightening. Great. Yes. Great analogy. Yeah, it, it's like a slow it's moving slow revenant. Yeah. revenant that comes after you and there's nothing you can do to stop it. 
and um, there's a there's another frightening part of this story that we haven't talked about yet, and I think is hard to get across in in a story that's that's written down rather one rather than one that's told visually or um, in an audio format. And that's the the concept of this buoy floating along, chasing ships down. It's floating along very slowly. These buoys have bells on them. And so this 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 deep sonorous bell is going to be ringing mm-hmm. out in the fog across the waves, and that just I, I just think that is really scary. So that part of it held up for me. Um, I, I I wasn't I wasn't particularly frightened by the concept of being buried alive. Um, not that that's not a frightening concept, but it's just interesting that I didn't pick up on that in the same in the same way or to the same degree that you did. Let it be known that this is the first time in human history where someone was more scared of a bell ring <laughs> than they are being buried alive. I'm going to go ahead and throw that stake <laughs> in the ground. And I'm going to stand by it. I'm going to stand by it. Let, <laughs> let, let us know which one frightens What's you more. What's scarier, a bell? At Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter. <laughs> at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter. Let's do a poll. What's more scary, being buried alive or a bell toll? I could quote some John Dunn here, but uh, we're, we, we, we don't need to do that. So uh, let's move into our whiskey ratings. Friends, this is how we we rate our stories here at Whiskey and the Weird. We're going to give it between one and five fingers of whiskey. And uh, Jess, I'm going to go to you first. Okay. I had it as four fingers. And the more we talked about it, I bumped it up. Four and a half. Uh, I like the story. I like the writing. I like the sort of dumb narrator who gives you all the town <laughs> gossip. Um, I just thought it was really good, solid, quick read. You did say it was your favorite in the book, so mm-hmm. there you go. You heard it here first, folks. All right. Damien. Well, I, I will take it as a three and a half uh, finger rating, uh, and only because my uh, fourth finger got caught in a bandsaw, so it's really tragic. I can't give a full four fingers. Um, no, I think three and a half. I, I, it was clean. It was clear. It was concise. Was it the most terrifying tale? No. Was it the best written? No. Was it easily digestible and enjoyable? Yes. So much like reality TV, this rides in the three and a half zone for me. I'm going to I'm gonna be the Debbie Downer here and give it a three finger rating. It was too short for me. As I've already mentioned, I wanted a little bit more out of it. Um, the other thing that I think holds it back for me, it's a very specific haunting. The Black Bell sure. buoy is not a particular threat to me in the same way that some of the other stories in this collection have threats in them that that maybe if I got caught out on the sea could be a danger to me. So it's this it's this very specific threat um, that that isn't particular to me at all. And so I can be frightened for Pettit, uh, but not <laughs> right. But but I, when you know when I close the book and, and and go to sleep at night, I'm not worried about it. If you hear Unless a somebody bell, rings that bell. Yeah. <laughs> if they ring that bell, though. I don't know. He's like a bell. Uh, I don't want to be buried alive, but I sure don't want to hear that bell. I have to change my pants if there's a bell ringing at night. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did think it was strong writing. Uh, I did think it was strong writing with some great lines, uh, particularly good in the swearing department, as I've already mentioned. Yep. And I thought it was a fun revenge story with with intriguing and, and interesting characters. Um, I just wanted just a little bit more. So I'm going with three fingers of whiskey. I guess if it if we are deciding that it's a ghost story, I could bump that up to three three point five. But <laughs> I rated it three fingers uh, based on the idea that it was not at all a ghost Don't story. Don't give us a right. pity half finger. I, I okay, your keep pity. your half finger to yourself. <laughs> 
So if, Jess, if folks enjoyed this story, what, what might be something else that, that they should check out? Brian, earlier you mentioned It Follows. Uh, people should just watch that because it's it's just really good and has this very same dreadful, slow-moving, threatening aura to it. Um, but the movie that I thought about um, specifically for this one, it's a 2014 Irish horror movie called The Canal. It's rentable on Amazon. I think it's free on Tubi, but it's sort of a love triangle where a wife disappears there's some ghostly footage that may sort of tie everything together. Um, you know, I love a revengeful love triangle. Um, so the canal. Um, I can vouch for it too. The canal is a great movie. Um, Damien, would you please stop watching What Lies Beneath? I can see it reflecting <laughs> in your glass. He's I watching can't it stop right watching now. It. It's folks. just, it's uh, these are two of the most attractive people of the early 1990s. In a bathtub yeah. too. Isn't there, isn't there a bathtub scene in that film? That's I think a couple. Iconic. Okay, you pervert. Let's stay out of people's <laughs> bathrooms and just let them enjoy their lives or however long they may be. Well, that that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thank you so much for joining us on Whiskey and the Weird. Our next story is going to be No Ships Pass by Lady Eleanor Smith, our Ooh. first female author of the season. So please don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes. And if you're feeling especially magnanimous, please leave us a favorable review. It really helps us to get noticed, and we truly appreciate that. Special thanks tonight, as always, go out to Dr. Blake Brandis for our music. And Damien, where can they find us online? Hey, if you want to find us online, why don't you follow us at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter. Hey, Whiskey's with an E for us. I know it's got some universal spellings, but that's at Whiskey with an E Weird Pod at Twitter. Or you can find us at Whiskey and the Weird on Instagram at Whiskey and the Weird on Instagram. Why should you follow us on social? Well, you're going to find some things like links to the uh, recommendations that we make during the episodes. Maybe some notes. Jess, you want to do the honors tonight? Oh, do I? As always, keep your friends through the ages and your creeps in the pages. Until next time, I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And we're Whiskey and the Weird. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>